The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and He said to them, Peace be with you. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Now Jesus... Let me make sure I did that right. God said, or Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. They are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise, Praise to you, o Christ, and go ahead and have a seat. <coughs> Sounded a little strange this morning when I said this, but it might and it might sound strange again when I say it to you. But good evening. Good evening. Yes. According to the gospel lesson, it's not early morning the lesson we just read. It's now evening. So let's think back. Let's review what has happened just today. This morning, we would remember that the women went to the tomb at the break of dawn. They went there to anoint the the dead body of their beloved Jesus. But his body was not there. The women then ran and they told the disciples, they have taken our Lord and we do not know where they've laid him. Peter and then the other disciple then have a foot race to the tomb to see for themselves. They find an empty tomb. But then the writer of the Gospel of Lessons says that they did not understand the Scriptures that He must first rise from the dead. Then we read, Mary stays at the tomb and she's weeping. She meets someone there whom she assumes is a gardener. She wants to know where they have taken Jesus' body. 
And then Jesus speaks her name, Mary. Her eyes are opened. She sees him for who he is, this risen Lord Jesus. And then she runs and she tells the disciples, I have seen him. I have seen the Lord. All this happens in the morning. Now, as we read, it's evening. The disciples are now gathered together. Now, they didn't leave the door open and unlocked for Jesus to enter. They're not sitting by the windows with the windows open or up on their flat rooftops waiting for him to walk back. There's no mention of hope or or enthusiasm for their Lord's coming to them. That is not what we read. They have entered this house. They have locked the doors. They have shut the windows. It's basically a tomb. They did not understand what was happening that morning. Not even now in the evening. They didn't understand the empty tomb. They didn't understand about Mary's words. They weren't making sense to them. And in that place, we can almost imagine that their hearts are still overcome with the events of the last three or four days. It has been a whirlwind in their life. More has happened in those three days than a human being, any other human being, can make sense of. Huge events. They're tired, too. They could be overcome with guilt or shame. They could have regret that they have deserted Jesus when he needed them most, that they were cowardice, if you will. All the could-haves and should-haves are swirling in their mind in these days, in these hours, in that room. And with all the, the, the horror of the betrayals and the arrests and the beatings and the crucifixion flooding their thoughts, there's a good chance we can understand this. There's a good chance that they're consumed with thoughts of a Roman cross in their near futures because they were being hunted. Now, with that in mind, can you remember the last time that you were wounded, really wounded, not just slightly wounded, but really wounded by someone or some event in this world? And after that event, you wanted to go and you wanted to shut yourself off from that world to put a barrier between you and that world. Remember a time for that? Can you remember heart pain so strong, so profound, so sweeping over you that you just wanted to run away anywhere just to get away? Remember a time when you experienced maybe a deep regret, a confusion. Maybe you had been weak or angry and you just wanted to escape. You wanted to find a solitary place. Can you remember a time when the demands of the world were so massive you just want to close a door and be alone? And maybe that door isn't just behind the doors of a locked room. Maybe it's on a golf course away from the world. Maybe it's on a a sporting event. Maybe it's on a vacation. Maybe it's on a beach. Maybe it's in a television set for days in alcohol or other distracting events. Can you remember? I ask that because I think we all can. We can all be in that room with locked doors with the disciples. Each of us can touch upon their real need to enter a safe place, a quiet place, separated 
closed off, if only for a time. And now, in today's gospel, into that place, just like those disciples, we can be comforted and we can have hope. Very real in our world. Because all of a sudden, on the evening of Easter, Jesus is with them in that locked room. Jesus knows where they are mentally. He knows where they are physically. He knows their spiritual and emotional condition. He just is aware of that. He knows where they're at. He knows that they're shut off and they are shut down. Knowing that they're in this self-constructed tomb, he finds them. He goes to them and he joins them where they are. Not through a doorway, not through a window that was open, but he finds a way in. He is just there. Even if they've tried to shut him off, even if they try to put separation between them and this world, Jesus is there. And a point to that for our lives, almost every time someone needs the Lord the most, whether they're facing different addictions, facing deaths, facing cancers, facing job loss, facing all the hardships of life. When people need God most, that's when they frequently push him away the farthest. We see that in the world. We see that here. Still, Jesus finds them. He enters their space. He finds them. That alone is good news. That could just stand up on its own as good news. That no matter where you are in your life, whether you're in a high place of life or a low place of life, whether you're celebrating the birth or whether you're about to experience death, no matter what tragedies and temptations and illnesses are besieging you, that God can find you. And there, God will speak to you some beautiful words that come next. So, they're not alone. Jesus speaks. The first word, beautiful thing. The very first thing he speaks when he enters the room, he offers a treasure, a gift of God himself. He says, peace. Peace. It's amazing they weren't experiencing that. They were the opposite, right? They hadn't seen that in the world for the last three or four days. There was no peace there. It was war and ugliness and greed and power and hatred. Peace, heaven, peace. That's what he says to his friends. The first things that their ears will hear, the first thing that their bodies will experience in the presence of their Lord is peace. No more war between heaven and those who who follow the Son. There is peace between them. No more curse because of human sin and human failure. You don't have to account for all that and quiver in fear because you're going to be judged. You confess peace is what you you receive. From God's Son, the very first word, peace. Then the next thing that happens, it's beautiful. He shows his wounds. He shows, this is me, guys. It's not a ghost. It's not a person who was never crucified. Look, and he shows them scars. He shows the side. He shows the wounds of the scars, the nail scars, and he says, the ones who arrested me, 
The ones who shouted crucify, and you could have been one of them. The ones who drove those nails into my flesh, they didn't defeat me. My power to love overcame. And that spear mark on my side, the ones who raised me up on the cross, the ones who mocked me from the cross, the ones who ridiculed me, the one who drove the spear into my side, they didn't take my power to live. I'm the God of the living. I'm the God of all creation. They didn't overcome me. Look. The disciples with their own eyes and their own ears are experiencing Jesus. And it's just not words. They're experiencing all that God is. It's radiating from Him. His peace and His love is is touching them in a way that the words and the eyes and ears can't even comprehend. It's just the fullness of their heaven and healing and the redeeming part of God is in that room and they are fully experiencing this. It's beautiful. There's more. Jesus does what some people who really don't know the Bible very well, might consider a strange thing. In our world, it would sound a strange thing. What we read next is Jesus breathes on them. In our world would think, the first thing our world would think would say, gross, germophobia, right? I'm going to get your cough. I'm going to get your cold. I'm going to get your whatever diseases you're carrying. They might say gross because you didn't have chewing gum that has mint on it in the morning. Maybe you have coffee breath, gross. When you say you breathe on somebody, It really doesn't convey very well in our world. I get that. But we're talking about the Scriptures and we're talking about God. To faithful people familiar with God's Word, breathing on the disciples is beautiful and powerful and invokes a memory of the very beginning. It can take these disciples and anybody who hears this story to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth. And then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. God breathed life. With that Genesis in mind, Jesus, the Son of God, is breathing the breath of life into the ones who are going to become His body, His church, on earth. Jesus breathes the breath of lives of those who are hiding in their self-created tomb so that they can come out of the tomb and become living beings so that they can become His body, His church. He breathes life into them for that reason and purpose. And now just as God breathes life into this dust of the earth in Genesis, He breathes it into the oceans, He breathes it into the animals in the sky, all the face of the earth. He breathes life across this earth. He crafts us in His image and likeness and He breathes into us. So now, in this new age, He breathes His spiritual life into His ten best disciples there. Yes, on that evening we find his friends are in a tomb. But just like Jesus was calling Lazarus out of a tomb, Jesus is calling his disciples out of a tomb. He's breathing his power and his life into his friends. They are now unbound. They are now empowered. And now they're called out to live. 
That's the first paragraph of the three we had today. Now we have two more about Thomas. Now, curious thing, I, I, I don't know why, but I mean, they have, they're smarter than I am. I just play the cards dealt. But it wouldn't be nice to keep that as one lesson for a Sunday and then start the next part of our lesson that starts the eighth day for next week, right? Because this next part happens eight days later. So now we're eight days in the future. Eight days later, the disciples have gathered in the same space. They're back in the tomb. The same tomb they were before. Now, Thomas is with them. Now, we can imagine that the ten disciples, since that event, that Easter evening, have told Thomas about what they saw, that they saw Jesus. They saw his, his marks on his hands and his side, how he breathed, on, how he said peace, and how he breathed on the Spirit. They probably told that story to Thomas. No doubt they did. But what we read, what we read after Thomas experiences this is that Thomas doubted. He says, unless I see the nail marks and touch, I will not believe. Now, it's very possible that Thomas is just incredibly disappointed. Why is it that those nine guys got, or those ten guys got to see Jesus and I didn't? This is just not fair. Maybe he's pouting a little bit because it's just not fair that, you know, like my brother got all the food. Why didn't I get something? I want some cake too. And he could have been like that. Maybe. And maybe he was just um, doubting Jesus um, that he had risen as the disciples said. Maybe he forgot what Jesus said in the very first place, that I'm going to die. He, Jesus told him three times, I'm going to go there. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to come back. Maybe he doubted that. Maybe. Um, my hunch is, is he doubted the ones who were sharing the message. Think about that today. I don't think Thomas had a whole lot of evidence. If you look at his other stories in the Bible where he's mentioned, there's not a lot of evidence that Thomas doubted Jesus. I think Thomas was doubting the ones who were telling him the message. Thomas must not have seen a reflection of their words in their lives. Maybe when he looked at them, he saw, wow, there's not a lot of peace in these guys. They're still all tore up about what happened last week. Maybe they didn't let it go when Jesus set them free. Maybe they're clinging on to their cage. Or when he says, um, talks about forgiveness, and when he talks about receiving the Holy Spirit, maybe when Thomas saw these guys, the church, what he saw in them was not what he thought was God. That happens a lot in our world all the time. Heck, I think even Gandhi said, I'd be a Christian except for the Christians. When the world sees us, the Christians, they don't believe. They don't want our God. We're chasing after the same money, the same cards, the same pride, the same houses, the same stuff that the world does. We're inseparable. So why would, if that's God, I'm not interested. Maybe that's what Thomas saw. And we can understand that, can't we? At least I can. I don't think Thomas doubted Jesus that he hadn't seen yet, risen. I think Thomas doubted the church and their example of Jesus in his life. We have met people who say they believe in Jesus with their words, but their actions don't convey it. They're chasing after the lures of the world just like everybody else. We say that we know people that 
um, maybe go to church on the Sundays, but their lives don't reflect. doubt and in there Thomas was blessed in that place and actually in the place of the world blessed because Jesus came back Jesus keeps coming back Jesus comes again to that tomb where they're all huddled up and there he shows his hands and his side to Thomas there he speaks a word of peace to Thomas but again to everybody else And there again, he breathes Holy Spirit, this gift, this energy, the presence of God himself into this flesh of Thomas and the other disciples. And at this point, Thomas is not the doubting one that we load on him. Thomas is one of the ones who speaks most clearly of anybody else in all time. He says in that response, my Lord, my God. The disciples hadn't said that. They had two chances. Thomas, after his first, with his mouth, he declares, my Lord and my God. What a response. Thomas then lives his life reflecting the reality of his risen Lord. There are stories about what Thomas has done, where he's gone, the message he shared even at the expense of his life his way of holiness, his life, his truth. Thomas shared that. And maybe Thomas was the one who led the disciples out of that tomb to stay out of the tomb, that hidden room, if you will. Today's gospel lesson, things are happening. One, Jesus enters into the space. He enters into our space. Two, he speaks a word of peace to us. When you come here every Sunday, I want you to hear peace. We share it with each other, peace. There's no more war between us and God. He has forgiven us. His love is bigger than anything we bring. He won't release us to keep wallowing in sin. He'll call us out from lives of sinfulness. So confess it, repent from it, confess, and then find life. But when you come here, hear peace. And then see the marks, see the cross. And that on that cross, he won. The scary stuff didn't win. The ugly stuff doesn't win. The evil doesn't win. Death doesn't win. The cross tried to show it, and it didn't happen. Jesus loves. He wins. And the last piece that we hear today is you're sent. Just as the Father sends me, you, church, I send you. Thomas did it. After he made the confession, my Lord, my God, he went. Following him, maybe, or all the others, the other disciples, they went. We do not find them in this locked upper room tomb again. They're now, from this day forth, out and about. Later on in the Pentecost day, we're going to be there out and there telling the story, and the Holy Spirit comes to all this church. It's beautiful. They're no longer tomb dwellers. Church, it's a message for us. We're not to be huddled in the building all the time, huddled in our little safe places all the time separating ourselves from the world with our little hobbies and our little distractions and our little addictions. No, we're going to stay close to our Lord. And then from that place, we're going to reach out. We're going to get everybody else close to our Lord. The church is born. They will know Jesus and they will make him known. No more doubting Thomas. 
bold, courageous, telling the good news, Thomas. That's a church we're called to be. We're doing, we're doing all right. God help us continue. Amen.